0: I think it's something that's, uh, that's really uh, pertinent to this hour. And it's there in Luke chapter 21. And uh, we can kind of see, kind of systematically, how these things are unfolding. And uh, I love how the scripture likens uh, really the end times and things that are happening uh, to a woman in travail. And it likens it to, to birth pains. And if you, you ladies, some of you obviously have had children in here, uh, some have had more than others, some are going to have children. Uh, but when a, when, a, when a person, a woman's pregnant, you know, you know, there's maybe a time where, where she's carried that baby for a length of time, then she begins to have this false labor, and it's called what kind of contractions, somebody? Braxton Hicks contractions. Thank you very much. I need the answers to see if you guys are paying attention. And so it's a false labor. In other words, uh, there's evidence, obviously, from the fact that she's having those, and it's not just indigestion, but it's not time for the baby to come. And so there are these... These, these contractions that are not as intense as they will be, and they're not as frequent as they will be, but it's it's the body preparing and, and, and readying you for something that's going to happen. But as that, the, the 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 woman comes to turn, something begins to happen. Those contractions become more intense, and they become more frequent until the birthing process. And so we're in that season. I believe that you know I think about years ago when I was just a young man, it was like something big would happen every once in a while. It's like you could, you could look at a year and you could say, well, that was the main thing that happened that year. You know, 1978, I believe it was, when you had the, 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 the hostages in Iran. and You can think about 1976, and there's just certain things that happened just once a year that was the big event. Folks, listen, those things are happening at breakneck speed now. They are. think about it in the last month. We've had uh, much of Houston uh, adversely affected by uh, the hurricanes, and obviously the hurricanes that struck South Florida and, and Puerto Rico. And now the, the president's flying out to, to address the issue of this, the, the largest uh, mass shooting on the United States uh, territory, 50, I think 59 dead, earthquake and in earthquake in Mexico. Mexico, all these things that are just happening that are affecting us. And so all of these things are just happening. How do you keep up with what the next headline is going to be? Well, you read the Bible. And here's what he said, he said, nation will rise against nation. I didn't even talk about the, the things that are happening in the, the, the Korean Peninsula. Uh, a friend of mine who is based out of China, he and his wife, his wife's a Chinese national. He, he made the point that uh, on the Chinese news media, that they're shutting down all uh, North Korean-owned businesses, and they're asking the Korean nationals that are there in the North Korea to leave China by the first of the year of, of 2018. And uh, mentioned that uh, on their news reports that 20 more United States warships have found their way into. Uh, just right off the coast of the, the, the peninsula of uh, North Korea, and uh, USS Ronald Reagan and, and named a few others, and that they had said that they were going to set out if there was any type of conflict with, with uh, Kim, the, the president, emperor, whatever they're calling him there over in Korea. But he says, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes. There will be in diverse places. There will be famines. There will be pestilence. And, and here's what got me. It says there will be fearful sights. In other words, there's going to be things that are going to evoke fears that are going to happen in people's lives. I mean, when you start hearing about somebody on the 32nd floor of a casino in Las Vegas uh, taking a hammer and knocking out the windows and beginning to unload semi-automatic weapons upon people with AK-47s or whatever set up on bipods, I mean, those are fearful things. You think, you know what, where are you safe? Where are you okay? It's not at an outdoor concert or whatever else. Where are you safe? But it says there will be fearful sights. it says, the great signs shall be from the heavens. There's going to be all these great signs and things that you can point towards. But then what he said, and this is where we need to pay close attention. He said, but before all these things, they shall lay their hands on you, and they'll persecute you, they'll deliver you up to the synagogues, and and they'll put you in prison. You'll be brought before kings and rulers, and it shall turn to you for testimony. And it says, settle it therefore in your hearts. Do not meditate... uh, before what you shall answer, he said, I'll give you a mouth and wisdom uh, for your adversaries and I'll not be able to resist. Folks, a, a persecution is coming, okay? So I hope you're prepared for those things. I mean, it's systematically unfolding. And so we look at a nation that is largely divided, and it's, it's divided along political realms. You think it's just going to stay in that? Uh, there's going to come a day and age where just to be a Christian, and it's getting less and less that people identify with genuine Christianity. And there's going to be a variance. There's going to be a hatred, a detesting of things, not just in this nation, but the nations of the world. So the key in all this is, is just to prepare yourself and to find rest in Jesus. And and for myself, I see these things unfolding with the tragedies, and I pray for the families and those affected. But you know what? I I get somewhat excited and expected in my relationship with God. I think about what Paul the Apostle said in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, there's a crown of righteousness that's laid up for me, but not only for me but those that love his appearing. Folks, nearer is our salvation than we first believe. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming with his angels, and he's going to tread out the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And it's coming to a close. And the key is, you know, whether that's happening next month, next year, 10 years from now, it's definitely nearer than we first believed. And I believe those pains are getting closer and closer together. But don't lose heart. Don't back away. Uh, Don't back off. Uh, Just keep pressing in for getting those things that are behind and pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus, which really kind of brings us to where we're at tonight. Father, we just thank you for your word, Lord God, which continues, Lord God, to be the lamp to our feet and the light to our path, Lord God. Father, I thank you that we can take such joy and solace, Lord God, in your presence and in your power, Lord God. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we are not children of darkness, but we are children of the light. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you've revealed these things, Lord God, through your word, because we have the mind of Christ. And, Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, that you have given your people, Lord God, a prophetic voice, Lord God, in these last days. Because you said the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Lord God, so I thank you, Lord God, that we don't have to find ourselves, Lord God, wrapped in a camel coat, Lord God, and a leather belt, Lord God, to hear, Lord God, your voice. That, Father, because the testimony of Jesus is alive in our lives, Lord God, the spirit of prophecy, Lord God, the foretelling and the foreknowing, Lord God, of things, Lord God, rests and abides, Lord God, upon us as the children of life. So, Father, as we come into this place tonight, Lord God, we're asking for the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding, Lord God, to be upon each one of us, Lord God. Reveal yourself to us, Lord God. Deepen our understanding, deepen our, our desire, Lord God, to cast off all of those things, Lord God, that in any way impede, Lord God, us knowing you, serving you, Lord God, and mostly just trusting you and loving you, Lord God. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, you, you know these verses, even if you don't know the address. It says, Uh, Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Somebody said, Amen. Uh, Staying with uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 23, uh, along those same lines, it said a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Amen. Uh, The Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 44. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes. They do not pick grapes from briars and so you will never you got to get this folks you will never be identified by someone else's fruit okay i want to say that you You will never be identified by someone else's fruit people do not pick figs from thorn bushes or somebody else's tree and so each of us will stand with the fruit of our lives on display and not the fruit of others folks as we're getting in to the fruits of the spirit that are manifest in your life you've got to get that down There's no secondhand fruit. There's not fruit on display or or fruit on loan from someone else. Each one of us have got to come to a place in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ where we're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not, I hope that I'm standing close enough to the righteous that when that day comes that I'll be counted righteous. Do you hear me? Why? Because the Word of God is very clear when it tells us. It says that there'll be uh, uh, two working in the field. Together, one will be taken, one will be left. It says, there'll be two grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. It says, there'll be two in a bed, one will be taken, one will be left. And so, you're not just going to say to yourself, well, I hope that I'm standing in, in, the, in the in the basic uh, geographical presence of somebody else, and hopefully by osmosis, that I can find myself in the presence of God. No, you're never going to be judged or identified by someone else's fruit. You're going to stand and give an account on the fruit that is displayed in your life and so while we have time while the, the there is yet light as the scripture says it says work work while there's yet light because the day's coming where there's darkness and no man will be able to work and so we have the opportunity to work and what are we working in it's not just crawling under a house as a, as a worker for X or it's not just standing, sitting in front of a, a computer screen as an it man or whatever it may be it's working out our salvation with fear and trembling and so the fruit and the demonstration of our salvation is those fruits of the Spirit. It is those things that are produced in a life that is has stayed cultivated, that keeps itself being watered by the renewing of their, their mind and the refreshing of the Word of God in it. So keep yourself in a situation where you're constantly being like the husbandman that's tending to those, those trees and to those vineyards in your own heart and life. And kind of an interesting thought to me is that of Romans chapter 11, verse 24 and here's what Paul, the apostle, who's also uh, obviously the the, the the author of the letter that we're studying in Galatians, he said this in Romans 11, 24, He said, "You by nature were a branch cut from a wild olive tree, and so your nature, who you used to be, was one that was cut that just that just grew in the wild." He said, "So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into His cultivated tree, so." In other words, every single one of us were born in the wild. We were born lost and without hope. We, we were born as, 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 as with, with one destiny, and that was in the place of destruction. And through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, Christ Jesus grafted us in to that vine. And so our roots were that of something contrary to the very nature of God. That's what our roots were. But he grafted us into himself through the finished work of the cross, so that we're no longer planted in and producing after a cesspool of sin, but now we have the capacity to bear fruit that comes from our new spiritual root system. you hear me? And so we were once dead, and we were alienated through God. We were enemies of the cross of Calvary, but what he did, he took us as a sapling And he said, listen, if you stay within that same place, if you continue to draw from the soil that you were placed in, as a place of the deadness of sin, the fruit that you're going to produce is going to come from that nourishment. Whatever you feed is what you're going to display. And so as long as we're bound by those things, all of those things are going to be on display in our life. Folks, listen, you don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to do it. They're going to figure out a way to do it. They're going to... Something inside of them and that wild olive branch is going to do it. Son, did you do that? No, I didn't do that. Daughter, did you do that? No, I didn't do that. How did they know to deny it? Why didn't they just take responsibility? Why? Because the deadness of that old nature, the second that we come out of our mother's womb, just like Psalm 51, he said, in sin I was conceived in my mother's womb. So instantaneously, those things begin to find themselves into our hearts and lives, unless we're cut off as a sapling and grafted into something else. The only fruit that we're going to produce is that from the deadness of sin. But what Christ Jesus has done through faith and what he's done, he's brought us into a new root system. And so when you hear people say, listen, that's just the way it is, because that's the way I was raised. Well, why are you so angry all the time? Well, you know what? I was taking after my daddy. My daddy was angry, so I'm going to be angry. Why are you this way? Well, I, I take after my grandmother. They said it just runs in the family. Folks, i got news for you. You know what? I I, I love my mama and I love my daddy, but something happened to me 32 years ago that had nothing to do with mama and daddy. Period. I can't say, you know what, because my mother and my father came from abusive homes, so I think I'm going to abuse my children. Because uh, my mother and father, they they had many difficult and and serious issues in their marriage. I'm going to do that in my life. No, you know what happened to me? I got saved. I got sanctified. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I got grafted into another root system that no longer did I have to uh, uh, reproduce those fruits, but I could produce fruit that was meant for repentance. My heart changed. My mind changed. So as a result, my capacity to demonstrate Christ's likeness changed as long as I stayed in him. And folks, listen, we no longer have an excuse to say, listen, that's what somebody else did or somebody hurt my feelings, whatever else. Folks, listen, his mercies are new every single morning. That's the goodness of him. And then we can begin to allow God to build and to cultivate something in our hearts and lives. Consider Matthew chapter 13 verses 21 as we continue uh, to really uh, examine the fruit of the Spirit. And he's talking about the, the parable of the sword, and you, you remember the, those places. But what he said to begin with, he said, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Have you ever met those folks? Maybe you tell them, talk about Jesus. Man, listen, that's exciting. They start coming to church. Man, they're dancing. They're hopping. They're putting their bumper stickers on. Man, I never want to go anywhere else. I never want to do anything else but serve God. Man, you know what? I get it. Man, I remember what he delivered me from. You know those people. Maybe at one point in your walk, you were that guy. But he says, since they have no roots. Somebody say, since they had no root, since they have no root. It says they only last for a short amount of time. Now, folks, the unfortunate reality is that short amount of time could be a day. It could be a week. It can be until their next struggle. It can be for years. Folks, I've known for people that that were grafted in for a period of time and, listen, they, they had some fruit by extension or they seemed real good, then all of a sudden, it's like they got snapped off. You're thinking, well, what happened to that person? So a long time for them might have been years. I've known people that literally were faithfully serving in church for years that turned their back on God and went into total spiritual destitution. Not just... Uh, compromise, but I'm talking about denying the very God that loved them enough to die for them. And it says, so they, 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 they have no root, so it, they only last a short time. And it says, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, it says they quickly fall away because they have no root. So if there's no root, there's no fruit, right? I cannot expect fruit to come out of something or of a life that has no root system in the kingdom of God. So the beauty of the blossom is no substitute for the flourishing of the fruit. Because, folks, listen, I can go out to a tree and I can say, you know what? There's a season in the spring and it's got all these beautiful blossoms. Folks, listen, I, I remember when we was a kid and uh, uh, we moved from, from California into the panhandle of Texas. We'd go and visit my grandmother. She lived at the corner of Northeast 6th Street in Philadelphia, out there in the old hood, right there in Amarillo, off Amarillo Boulevard. She had this old stucco peak house. It was, it, was, it was just this old house, but we loved going over there. She had old creaky wood floors and the open gas uh, furnaces that you didn't get too close on because you'd burn yourself. and had the big claw-tooth tub. But the thing that we loved about her, her house so much is at the end of summer, we would go there and she'd give us some big old brown paper uh, uh, grocery bags. And about three blocks down the road, there was this business that had about 25 cherry trees adjacent to it. They were just sitting out there planting. And you know what? They, the people that worked there got so used to seeing them, they didn't care about it. It was no construction business. And so as kids, we would go down there and literally, we would fill grocery bags full of those cherries. The best cherries you ever ate. I don't know if it was really the best cherries, but the best, best cherries we ever ate because we picked them ourselves. And so every year, we would look forward to going and picking those cherries, pulling the fruit off of those trees. And so finally, a, a few years later, we heard that there, some kids had been playing out there and lit a fire. And they caught those trees on fire. Now, we were so devastated, we thought to ourselves, oh, they burned them down. And they said, no, they didn't burn them down. They just, you know, It was, it was off-season, but it, 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 it scorched the trees. And so we thought to ourselves, man, we hope it's okay. And we remember going, and, and we were there in the springtime. We looked, and yes, certainly all the blossoms were coming out. The cherry blossoms were on the tree. And we said, well, we can't wait till just a few months, and we're going to be able to go, and we're going to pick the fruit off the tree. It never happened again. Every single spring, the blossoms would come upon those trees, but something happened because of the fire that they never produced fruit again. And so that's what I mean. They had the beauty of the blossom, but there was never the flourishing of the fruit. Folks, listen. There's a lot of people that have come to Christ, and it seems like they blossom. Man, they've got this amazing testimony of where they came from and what God did. And, and people, they, they say, man, look at those flowers. Look at all that neat stuff. And man, they're, they're so joyous. And it's so cool what's, what's going on in their life. But the second the fire hits the ground, the fire comes into the life. Yeah, they're going to have maybe the, the semblance of a testimony. Or, or they still go to church. Or they maybe they still have a gift or a talent. But you can wait season after season after season. And the fruit of the Spirit is never evidenced in their life. But folks, listen, something has happened in the body of Christ, and I've seen it over the course of my nearly 51 years. It's when we're so enamored by the blossom on the tree that we never wait and examine the fruit of somebody's life. We do. Well, listen, did you hear what he said? Well, What about the fruit of his life? But he goes to church. But what about the fruit of his life? Well, listen, he's not as bad as he used to be. But what about the fruit of his life? Folks, listen. There's got to be a root system in our life that's planted in the ground that begins to bear forth the fruit that God wants. And so uh, the, we, it's going to bring us to this point. Look at what it says right here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against sense there is a the law. So we dealt with love. We dealt with joy. We've dealt with peace. If you weren't here for those, they're out there somewhere. Okay? tips to tell you. So all of those attributes right there are are directly derived and defined by the character of God on display in our lives. So we look at the love. What is that? That's an attribute of God. That's God's love on display. That's who he is. It's the definition of God. Same with the joy. Same with the peace. Then we come to the how those characteristics or attributes are demonstrated or manifested in the areas of our life that genuinely define us. So what are those attributes that define you, Caleb David? What are those attributes that define you, James? What are those attributes, Courtney, in your life that define who you are? What are those things? We know from First John 4, 7, and 8 that God is love. And so somebody examines and looks at your life. As the word says, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. And so they're going to look at you, Haley Baldwin, and they're going to say, really, what is that attribute that's going to define you in regards to your your relationship with God? Is it because you're standing close enough to the preacher, or your daddy does something, or you're an intern in the right ministry? Is is that going to be the attribute? But when you're the one standing in that field all alone, and you find yourself about to be engulfed by the the, the flames of a a rebellious child, or, or you're going through the trials and the tribulation." What is that fruit that's going to define your life? And folks the love, joy, the peace. Those are the things that demonstrate the characteristics that God brings into our life so that we can begin to see these other things going to describe genuinely who we are. And it brings us to that place of long-suffering. Another word for long-suffering, another name for it is just generally the word patience. And it's defined as, you've got to hear this, it means it embraces steadfastness and staying power. So the fruit of the Spirit is steadfastness, it's staying power, it's, it's perseverance, it's especially shown in bearing troubles and ills, it means an endurance and a constancy, and I'll say that again. It embraces steadfastness and staying power, it's perseverance, especially, it's shown in bearing up troubles and ills, it's endurance and it's constancy. In other words, it's a predictability based upon a reoccurring consistency over time. How is somebody going to respond? Well, there's a reoccurring consistency that's in their life. Folks, have you ever met anybody that was a, you'd call them a habitual liar? And you couldn't believe anything? They said, why? Because, and you've heard this adage, they would lie, what? When the truth would work better. Or somebody that they've lied so much that they began to believe their own lies. Well, they're, cons- they're consistent. You if you know exactly what's going to happen. When the chips are down, they're going to be down. When the chips are up, they're going to be up. They're consistently inconsistent. You can always see a pattern in their life. But when I'm walking in long suffering, there's a predictability based upon a, an occurrence, and a consistency towards righteousness over time. And so I was reading through, and I told you I was reading through the Gospel of, of Luke yesterday, and I was in 21, 16 through 19, it describes all of these conditions that will develop in the lives of those that genuinely sell out to Christ. Okay, Here's what I'm telling you. If you're going to be sold out to Christ, do you want to know what to expect? Folks, because people don't say that. They'll have these great altar calls. And they'll say, hey, listen, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Then He's got this. So what you all you need to do is, listen, if you've been through trouble, you've been through trials, you've been through tribulations, you've been facing all these things, all you need to do is you just need to come here, come just as you are, without one plea. Because he shed his blood for for you and me, or whatever they want to say. You come up here, you pray this prayer, you're going to be saved, and everything's going to be fantastic. Does anybody in here that actually happened to them? Everything was fantastic for you, wasn't for me either. You know what? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but it's the Lord that delivers us from them all. And so, rather than telling somebody, "Come up here, listen, man, you're about to be fast tracked to a time of tribulation. Come on up here and accept Jesus, and you're going to be hated." Come up here and, and, and give your heart to the Lord. Turn away from sin, and you're going to be despised of men for his sake. Folks, that doesn't sell tickets. That doesn't fill up the great revolving doors of the megachurch. What does it do? It creates this narrow gate that leads to life that few are very going to be finding. The folks at Gate obviously leads to destruction, and a lot of people are going to enter into that. And so you've got to come to a place of understanding exactly what you're buying into. And look what he said in Luke chapter 21, verses 16 through 19. He said, You will be betrayed by both parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends. And some of you, they shall cause to be put to death. you'll be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not be a hair of your head that ends up perishing. Folks, Could you withstand that type of pressure to yield to something contrary to the Spirit of God in you? Would you you be able to stand to that type of pressure should that pressure come? What are you going to do when the pressure of being a Christian is not just somebody looking sideways at you or throwing a trick in your face on Bourbon Street? What about when it hits closer to home? You know why? Because people can come and they can curse at you and they can look at you and say all kinds of things about you and you don't know them. And you know what? It's really not that tough. He's like, listen, you don't know me. You don't know anything about me. But what about when it begins to hit closer to home? That word betrayal, listen to what it means. It means to be abandoned, to deliver over with a sense of close personal involvement. So betrayal only happens when there's something to betray. You've betrayed my trust. That meant there was trust. You've betrayed my friendship. That means that there was friendship. You b- betrayed my, my, my transparency. That means it had to have existed. And so when it talks about being betrayal, it's something that had to exist on a very personal level. And he says, you will be betrayed even by parents. Man, that's hard to stomach, isn't it? Man, even mom and dad. Oh, my, my mom's since gone to be with the Lord, but my dad's still alive, and I'm thinking to myself, man, what, what would it be like if, if my dad my dad wasn't walking with the Lord, or Or we got sideways in in regards to Jesus and and it didn't happen. Well, some of you know what that looks like because you experience it. You know, Beth here, you know what, she don't have a relationship with, with, obviously she's adopted or adopted parents because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. When she was living in the world, she had a relationship with them. When she was headed to hell, she had a relationship with them. They may not like her decisions, but at least there was some compatibility With their value system, but coming to Christ Jesus, and especially marrying a preacher of the gospel, suddenly the wheels came off and there was a betrayal. He said, you'll be betrayed by parents, by close family, other kinsfolk, those who you thought were friends. And he says, some will even be put to death. Now folks, that seems very extreme right there, doesn't it? And it, it's interesting why put to death can. And for some people, obviously, we see throughout the word that it, that it can actually involve a, a physical death. But I found this interesting within the context of this. It, 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 it used something called rhetorical hyperbole. Rhetorical hyperbole. And it literally means to be put in the state of one who is being put to death. You're thinking, what does that even mean? I'm about to tell you Pastor Joe back there. Here's what it means. It means that you become dead to them. In the sense that they no longer have any hope or desire of a close relationship with you, they would rather totally act as, as though you didn't exist than to have any emotional or relational ties with you. Has anybody ever seen? There's a show called The Shark Tank. Have you seen that? Well, there's one guy on there, he's like a Canadian multimillionaire, and he'll, he'll give somebody an offer. And the Shark Tank, you get these entrepreneurs on there, and they have these ideas or whatever, and they want these sharks. It's like Mark Cuban that owns the Dallas Mavericks. Some girl that, that does QVC or something, but all these people are up there. But there's this one guy in particular, I can't think of his name right of hand, but he he he's got the thing he always says. If somebody rejects his offer, you know what he says? You're dead to me. You're dead to me. Not that they're dead, but I want to act like you don't even exist. There's, I have no interest in you whatsoever. Don't 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 approach me. Don't talk to me. Don't think that I'm gonna uh better my offer to you. And folks, that's what he said is gonna happen. There's going to be a betrayal. You're going to be dead to people. They would just as soon not even think about you as to think about you in opposition to what their value system is and compared to yours. And it says you'll be hated. You'll be detested. You'll, the, 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 you'll be detested. They will find nothing favorable and desirous in, nothing positive. They will find you revolting in regards to who you are. So Jesus says that we can look forward to all of these conditions presenting themselves to us. On one level or another. No one, he said, will be exempt. No one will be exempt. The only difference may be the intensity of that trial. But no one will be exempt. And he says, and I love this. This is still right there in the Gospel of Luke. He says, but in your patience, possess ye your souls. All of that stuff is going to happen. All the persecution, all the hatred. I wish you were dead parents and brothers and sisters and friends and all of these people. But then right there, he said one little verse, verse 19, he says, but in your patience possess ye your souls. It's all, it's all terrible. It's all these things. But in your patience possess ye your souls. Or in other words, he says, who you really are will be revealed through in the demonstration of your patience or long-suffering in the midst of the most troubling times in your life. Folks, listen, who you really are isn't who you are when everything's going good. That's not who you really are. Who we really are is who we are in the least desirable times in our life. That's who we really are. Who we really are only manifests itself when we don't get our way. Who we really are only reveals itself when we're going through hard times. Who we really are is really only seen by other people when we're faced by the biggest trials in our life. That's who we really are. Because, folks, listen, we can throw up a facade. We can throw up a counterfeit version of us as long as life is dealing us the hand that we think that we deserve. It's kind of like in the book of Job. Have you considered my servant Job? who he really is will not be known. Why? Because you won't let anybody near him. You've always blessed him. Well, let me pull that stuff back and let me see if that's who he really is. And folks, you know the story of Job and how all that stuff was restored to him many, many times over. Why? Because even in the midst of those things, he still refused to curse God and die. And so are are, are you ready to see who you really are? Are you ready to see who you really are? Are you ready to see who other people really are? Because in your patience possess you, your soul. Folks, listen. The sad truth about all this is is this is where most believers find themselves abandoning their call and their personal relationship with Christ Jesus. That's where it is. That's where most people, when they find themselves in troubling times, they find themselves in difficulty, they find themselves not only seeing the reality of other people, but the reality of themselves. This is where people abandon their call and they abandon their intimate relationship with Christ. And so, We can rejoice, we can celebrate in the presence of the love and the joy and the peace. Well, it's all about the love. Man, he's a God of love. Man, he gives me a peace that passes all understanding. Man, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Folks, listen, we can rejoice, we can celebrate in those things. Because all of those things give us the capacity to feel, to experience, to know, to understand But as long-suffering is what allows us to endure the darkest and the most dreadful times in our lives, the question is, will you stand when the proverbial wheels fall off of your wagon? Will you still stand when all of those things that seem to be transporting you to that place of desired destiny? What about when those things aren't on the vehicle of your life any longer? The fruit of the spirit of long-suffering is that one fruit that bridges the gap between knowing and doing. I'll say that again. When I begin to look at these these fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit of long-suffering is the fruit that bridges the gap between knowing, knowing God through love, joy, and peace, to doing, which we're going to get into over the next few weeks, what that looks like when we do. There's nothing attractive or inviting or particularly inviting or desirous about long-suffering. There's not. Because look at the word itself. What does it imply? It implies suffering. Right? Long, the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. And not just suffering, but suffering for an extended period of time. Because we'll say to ourselves, listen, Lord God, I want man, I want the fruit of the Spirit of my life. Man, I want the fruit of the Spirit of love. Mm-mm. Man, I tell you what, I just look at that sister. Man, you talk about somebody that's just love. Man, the, the Lord is all over. Man, I get around uh, Roy... Man, they ought to change. He ought to be called Roy Joy. Man, got the joy of the Lord on him. Man, he just got all this. We think, man, I want to be. Oh, man, gentleness. Man, you get around Bethlehem Patel back there. I mean, you talk about gentleness. I mean, it's like the fruit of the Spirit just oozes out of every pore. gentleness, kindness. You see what I'm saying? But, man, do you want to be the one that's known for long-suffering? That person's always long-suffering. They're always going through. They're always in the midst of something. See, folks, listen. We want to handpick the trees that we cultivate. We want to handpick those things. But there's only one thing that's going to bridge us from that place of knowing Christ and actually demonstrating a Christ-likeness in our life. I think about, and as I'm preparing this, I could think about times for me and for Melanie and our lives and even ministry that probably made me appreciate long-suffering as much as I appreciate any of those things. 1991 to 2003, I'm going to call it the long-suffering ministry years. The long-suffering ministry. And Beth laughs, amen? It's funny, we always laugh when we don't want to have to cry, amen? And I think about us as just a young couple, 24 years old apiece, going into a a, a very difficult, it was an environment that, that, that more senior ministers would call the preacher killer. It's the thing that you get a young minister, you get somebody in there, and it turns them off to the gospel, and they go to truck driving, or they go to uh, welding, or they go to selling insurance, or anything besides ministry. Okay? They do whatever they can to get away from the ministry. Why? Because it's so difficult. That was the environment that we were thrust into. And it was, it was, it was that long-suffering time that we went through seasons, even having left a, a place that, man, really we were finally able to, to pay our, our bills and get things done. Then all of a sudden, we went into an environment as ministers, as people that were serving the body of Christ that, that endured times of really abject poverty. I mean, I'm not talking about times where we just were having a hard time making ends meet. I'm talking about times where we were destitute. We were talking to a couple the other day who was talking about uh, uh, getting on a first-name basis with a guy at the pawn shop. Because there wasn't right. a single thing that we had a value that at one time or another didn't have a pawn ticket associated with it. You know, most of that stuff we never did get back. But man, I really like that. Those three times we got to use it, but I'm going to see if maybe they'll give me $50 so we can buy the baby some milk and diapers. And so it was long-suffering. And so at any time, it could have been one of those things. Listen, man, God didn't expect this to us. Or, or, or homelessness. We found ourselves as pastor of a church that ministered to homeless people that we were homeless. That we literally didn't have a place to go home at night. We'd kind of just kind of wait around or hang out at a coffee shop and let the kids do their their, their, their homework. And, and, and we'd go crash out on a friend's couch or some family or, or something else. We were homeless in the ministry. Man, we don't deserve that. We're preachers. We're the pastors. But man, I never could find myself getting into the pulpit and complaining or griping because I always thought to myself, man, as bad as we have it, we're saved. As bad as we have it, man, God is is... Has kept us. And man, somebody may walk through those doors this morning that doesn't know Jesus, and they're going to run into a, 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 a preacher, somebody that should know God, somebody that should trust God, and he's just complaining about his circumstance. Where's that going to lead them? And I found myself having to long suffer through those things. That as a couple would say, "Man, we just need to talk to such and such. Well, honey, who are we going to talk to? We just need to tell them. Who are we going to tell?" Anybody with two sets of good eyes would be able to see the destitution that we're in. God knows. And so we endure. What about the, the the times of ministry mutiny? I remember when Pastor Alex came on. It's just a young man, and one of the pastors, and he was going to go to our first leadership meeting. I had to warn him. I said, brother, I don't know if you're ready for this or not. He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, things aren't as they always are perceived in public. What do you mean, preacher? What do you mean, pastor? I said, well, listen, brother, listen, I, I really have to take a lot and and, and really uh, allow those things to happen in in the behind closed doors because I don't want to subject the people to it because these people will fold up and they'll, they'll lose heart. I remember him going and hearing the things and walking out as just a young preacher. That He said, listen, I can't believe these guys say that type of thing. I can't believe that they're really in opposition when they stand up in a pulpit or they talk about, listen, we're behind you, Then when you get behind closed doors, it's everything but that. I said, brother, he's got to endure. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to keep touching people's lives. We're going to keep feeding the hungry. They don't want to feeding the hungry. We're going to keep taking in the Joe and the best. We're going to keep doing it. Why? Because it's going to pay dividends later on. I remember during those ministry mutiny, long-suffering years, that they said concerning our, our men's house that Pastor Joe was one of those guys. I and mean, we ought to shut the doors. I, I don't know of a single one of those people that ever amounted to anything. Tell me that 20 years later. He's a product of somebody being willing to allow the fruit of the Spirit of long-suffering. You know what? I was willing to be homeless for him to have that testimony. We were willing to endure abject poverty so he could have that testimony. But what if the fruit of the Spirit of long-suffering would have been absent from our lives and we'd have said, you know, you're right. It's too hard. That's cost too much money. If we didn't pay the rent on that house, maybe we could get a paycheck. Where would my brother be? Where would the people that he's been able to speak into their lives be? Dark spiritual times during that. Folks, listen, in the midst of all those things, seeing the hand of God move, I personally went through probably the most darkest and desperate time of my life. I'm talking about a time where literally I felt like my life was draining out of my body. I'd gone through, and I know it was a direct attack by the devil. I had a, a tremendous uh, uh, physical thing happen to me, uh, and just had to endure because it was like God shut all the doors. I mean, it was a situation so serious uh, in the natural that my wife said, "You've got to go to the hospital." And I said, "I can't. I can't go tonight. We got we got someplace we have to be tomorrow. I can't. I can't do it tonight. If I'm still having problems Monday, I'll go." Come Monday, I called the local clinic because we didn't have the insurance, and they gave me an appointment told them what happened. It was was very, could have been a very grave situation. And they gave me an uh, an appointment three months down the road. I had to say to myself, you know what, God? You know exactly what you're doing. And so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to long suffer through this. Obviously, that's been many, 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 many years, and I'm still still standing. But I remember just a darkness. You know when people talk about a a depression that just, just envelops them in a place? It was like the enemy was trying to put that on my life. And probably the only person that could see those things and knew about those things was my wife. Why? Because it was something I had to endure. Why? Because there was other people that my depression would not administer to them. But my long suffering through that bout of darkness could. That's the time that i got to say, God, I can't see you. I can't feel you. It, it, it seems like I'm enveloped in a, in a veil of darkness. But God i got to trust you because you never promised me everything would be okay. You never promised me that my circumstance, you never promised me a rose garden. Lord God, listen, I didn't come into this because you told me that I would be the most popular. I have it easy. What you promised me is eternal life. And Lord God, that's what I'm in it for. And so if I've got to go through a period of darkness and though you slay me, I'm going to serve you. And you know, it was during that time that people would come to me and say, man, that, was, that, that word you gave today was, was, was the best word I've ever heard from you. I man, God moved it. And I'm thinking to myself, man, you guys are living it. I'm dying on a daily basis. But you have to learn that long suffering. And finally, during the close of that 1991 to 2000 year, it was the, the rejection by those that you invested in. Folks, we poured 14 years of our life into a church, into a ministry, into a people. When God gave us the, the okay and the clarity and the mandate to come to New Orleans, I mean you would have thought a church like that that you've invested in, done all these things, would get behind you and say, listen, man, we're gonna be the ones that sent you out. We're gonna be the ones that bless you, we're gonna be the ones that make sure that you don't have any needs, that man, you can get on your feet. And it didn't happen. It did not happen. But what do you do? Well, you reach down, and you say, I need the fruit of the Spirit. Because God still got us in that season of teaching us some long-suffering, which took us to 2003 to 2005, which we're going to call the long-suffering transitional years. So we leave the familiarity of our home. We leave the familiarity. As difficult as it was, it was still familiar. You had friends. You had family. You had, you had a place to fall back on. And all of a sudden, that was removed from you. And you're coming into a place where you don't have any real, solid, mature, deep relationships. You don't have any support. You don't even have a home to go to. And all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're pulling yourself out of that, but there's a peace, and there's a comfort in knowing that you're going to be obedient. Now, was it easy? Absolutely. it was difficult. It's difficult having to sleep in a storage bill. It's difficult when your kids are asking you where's it at home. It's, it's difficult for all of those things that are happening, and you're waiting for the mail to run because you know that that retired lady in Canyon, Texas, is going to send you $20, and you know it yourself. Listen, man, we got real creative with the $20 bill. And so it was a difficult time. But it was a time that God was teaching some, some very much some long suffering. But it was also that season of time where Mel had her first very very serious MS attack. That's the time when she came and her her, her she she was losing her vision, and she had a numbness that struck her from the bottom of her feet up into her hips. She could barely walk, and all of these tremendous headaches and all this stuff happened. And you don't have anybody to turn to. Why? Because you can't drop down your your Blue Cross Blue Shield thing and go to the hospital and all these things. And so what do you do? You just you just have to endure. It's bad enough that my wife's going through and that, that was my, my West Nile virus season and in the time that I found out I was a, a diabetic and all those things. God, you told us, you brought us that. Did you bring us into the wilderness Lord God to kill us? Man, as tough as it was where we were, at least we could eat the leeks and the onions of Egypt. Now, we can say that. We said, you know what, man, we're just going to have to trust God. We're going to have to believe him in the midst of the, the, the toughest time in the life. We're going to have to allow the fruit of long-suffering to be in our lives. That we had the whole thing with the Hurricane Katrina and people talking about Katrina as the, the judgment of God and all these things. Folks, listen, folks ain't got a clue what they're talking about. Come on, walk a mile in somebody's shoes that's been through those. Somebody that's praying. Somebody that's trusting God. and Come and tell them it's the judgment of God. Tell them to my pastor friends that, that preached righteousness and holiness and, and, and Hurricane Katrina came and preached the levy that, that leveled their church and scattered their people. Tell me that's the judgment of God. But then you endure through those times where you take all of these value, these things that you thought you possessed and you're stacking them on a, on a curve and you had a hard enough time getting anything anyway because you didn't have anything. But you're thinking to yourself, man, that's just stuff. And you endure through it. Brought us to 2006 through 2010, the, the 10 that I call the long-suffering Daytona years. So once again, we're, we're, we're facing the test of obedience. God tells us, listen, I want you to go to a place that you don't know anyone, been there, done that. You don't have any support. You don't have a place even to go except obedience. Where do you go? Long suffering takes you to a place of obedience. So I want you to go and I want you to do work. Okay, God, we'll we'll go and do that. And so you have to come to a place of long suffering through a time of slowing down and focusing. God, really, man, this isn't my pace. Man, I'm a mile a minute. God, I'm, 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 I've got to be this guy goes to the grindstone and all of a sudden I'm in this place that's beautiful, sandy beaches and all this stuff, but this is just not scratching my itch. But God said, listen, I want to do something. I want to bring some healing. I want to bring some solidification. I want to bring some restoration. Why? Because the next phase of your life you're going to need that. You're going to need the basis. Well, what did that do? That allowed me to really get solid in some things on a personal level to overcome it. It allowed me to to teach 196 hours through the Book of Romans, it allowed me to to, to reach down into a place that otherwise did not exist, having the long suffering through it all, willing willingness to say, listen, you know what you know where my heart's at, God, you know what my desire is, you know what the vision is you showed me, you know what my Isaac is. But listen, God, I'm not in here. I'm not. You. I don't have you on a stopwatch. I'm here until you say different. If I've got to crucify my Isaac of the city of New Orleans and the ministry there that you've promised me decades ago, I'll do that God. Whatever it takes, because I know that you're able to raise up something. You're able to raise up a vision. You're able to raise up your promises because your promises are yes and amen. Then we've got into the next health scare. The breast cancer scare. When your wife comes to you you say, Honey, listen, I've got to get this checked out. This is really hurting me. I've got this. You go in. And they begin to do these tests. They give you the, the standard mammogram. We see something We just can't tell what it is. Okay, there's $1,000 you didn't have. We want to do another test. We want to do a biopsy. There's another $1,000 you didn't have. They do a biopsy. We really can't tell what that is either. What are you going to do? You're going to endure. So you go before surgery. God gives you that life in the tunnel. He says, listen, I can't tell you what this thing is. But if it was my life, I would want it out of there. And I said, well... I wanted it out of there too. And God gives you that grace and mercy in the time of long-suffering. The guy says, listen, I'm a Christian. I can't do what you do, but I can do what I do. And I'm going to do that for nothing. The surgeon said, I'm going to give her the surgery. And on my part, I'm not going to charge her a dime. I'm going to do that. Well, that was the breath that we needed to endure through the times of trial. Then you get the 2010 to the 2014, the long-suffering as we waited for the manifestation years. It's almost like coming back into an environment where you had your passion but you're starting from scratch. You know, we go into to Bourbon Street and, and we go out there like we own the place now. Period. I mean, we roll in, we roll out. We're not waiting anybody. Y'all need to get out of our way. This is our spot. This is our preaching. But folks, when, when when we came back in 2010, that didn't exist in that capacity. It was me and another brother of the Lord and whoever else we could we could wrestle up. We'd stand there and most of the time it was one of us holding the cross and one of us preaching and keeping everybody off of him and, and, and vice versa. That's all it was. On Thursday night visitation, it wasn't breaking into multiple teams and, and, and leapfrogging each other. It was me and him starting at Iberville Street, making it all the way down to St. Anne and coming up all the other street and talking to every single person ourselves. That's what it was. So we were enduring. We were long-suffering going through those things to lay the groundwork. It became that we're going to do as much as we can with as much as we have. Now, we don't have everything, to do what we want to do, but what we're going to do is we're going to do as much as we can. And so we didn't have a training center, but we had a house. And so when Pastor Sam and Lucy moved in, and Gideon came, they stayed in our house. When Pastor John and Beth moved, we didn't have a training center. For them, so what did they do? They, they came through our house. And I can name you name after name after name, all the people that transitioned through our house because that's what we had. Well, does it extend it? Does it challenge it? Well, absolutely it does. You know what? We needed to be extended. We needed to be challenged. We needed to be prepared in our heart in order to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Then we had that Ishmael challenge. Just prior to getting this, you guys have heard the story when the Hollywood producer called and said, "Listen, I'll give you a quarter of a million dollars if you'll make let me take six weeks of your time to make a reality show out of your ministry." A quarter of a million dollars, six weeks. I tell you what. When, when Hagar saunters past you with a, with, a, with something like that, man, they become more and more attractive. Praise God, I have a praying wife and a God that speaks clarity. He said, listen, that ain't Jesus because he's never told us anything about that. Well, six months later, God began to unfold things and, and we got the training center. And it had it not been for that, you know what we'd have done? We'd have tried to do it in the power of our own hand. Then seeing the vision unfold time during that with the TC and the raven's nest and seeing God raise up disciples that at the end of the day are going to take it further than anything else. Folks, well, listen, all of this stuff that we're talking about is strictly the product of the fruit of the Spirit of long-suffering, being willing to wait. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and they will not faint. Folks, listen, if if for a minute, just simply, if I walked in the other eight fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, the the gentleness, kindness, the goodness, the self-control, but if you just simply eliminated the fruit of the Spirit of long-suffering Nothing that we see would exist. That is the bridge that begins to hem those things together. And not just for Melanie and I, obviously. But it's going to be in your life as well. Are you willing to allow the fruit of the Spirit of long-suffering, even when you have to suffer long, to be the thing that opens up the door and prepares, not just the way that prepares you for all of those things that God has for you, for the Spirit is long suffering, patience, but it's always determined to come forth in an overabundance of harvest when we're thankful to the Lord for it. I want you to consider the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 9 through 14. Once again, he says, You'll be arrested, persecuted, killed. You'll be hated all over the world because of my you're my followers. Like, amen, amen. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But, let me say but. Verse 13 of Matthew 24. But the one that endures to the end will be saved. Not the one who comes to church and prays a prayer. Not the one who gives enough in the offering plate. But the one that's willing to endure until when? Until it gets too hard? Until your circumstances change? Until you're broke? Until it's difficult. No, it's the one that's willing to endure to the very end. Until you see it to the vanishing point. Those are the ones that are going to be saved. And the good news of the kingdom shall be preached throughout the whole world. So that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Folks, you know what it's going to be like for every single one of us. That really want to gravitate and do the things of the Lord. Our, our mentality is going to be that you might outrun me. That you might outcall me. That you might might even outsuccess me, you might outpopular me, but you're not going to outlast me. You're not going to outlast me. You may out all of those other things that people point towards, but at the end of the day, I'm still going to be standing. I'm going to still be pressing. I'm still going to be enduring. Why? Because all those other things that you see is so important. Listen, I'm still going to be here. So different than I told old George right there on Bourbon Street. Uh, a couple years ago, when he began to really come against us as a, really a tool to the adversary. And I said, George, here's the thing. I said, can come sooner, come later. Because I was here before you got here. And once you're gone and dead, I'm still going to be preaching the gospel. And you know what? He may not be physically dead, but as far as opposition goes, man, when God shut that puppy down, that stuff got shut down. Why? Because it's those that endure. Are you willing to endure? I'm not talking about out-talented and out-blessed uh, and all those other things, out-successed. Are you going to be able to outlast all of those difficulties that come in your life? So my goal is to endure to the end and not just be that high riser and that fast faller. I want to be that person that is so systematically predictable, the line upon line, the precept upon precept, the person that's laying laying a foundation bit by bit, piece by piece. But over time, you're going to find yourself at that place of endurance. Being exalted in due season. What's the season? Well, it's the season that's been birthed through endurance over time. Second Corinthians 12, 12 says, and this has really spoken to me for a long time in regards to the capacity that he's personally called me to. This is a personal word. And it says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience and with signs and wonders in mighty works. Listen, I may not be an apostle for anybody else, but I've certainly been one for the ministry that God's called me to. And so before anything else is seen, just let me walk in utmost patience, endurance, long-suffering. So this is going to be the quality that enables one to rightly expect to see all the other things that are manifest in your life. Until you're walking in long-suffering and patience, don't expect anything else to happen. Why? Because you will not have qualified yourself for it. Yeah, you may see miracles and uh, 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 wonders, but they're going to be signs and lying wonders. Because the genuine article is always going to come out of that furnace of affliction, the times that you've got to dig down and you've got to trust God through it all. Let patience, what? Have a perfect work. Let endurance have its perfect results. It's a different verse in the same scripture. Allow perseverance to finish its work and let steadfastness have its full effect. Endure until your testing is over so that you'll be perfect and complete and not deficient in anything. I'm going to close with Mark 4 tonight, verse 35. Jesus speaking, he said, the same day when, the, when evening was come, he said unto them, he said, let's pass over to the other side. It says "And when they, were sent, they sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship and there were also with him other ships. It says there came a great storm. Folks you know what we're seeing in our society, in our culture, and in this world right now, we're seeing a great storm coming. It says the waves beat against the ship, so that the ship was now full of water. Folks, listen, there's a lot of people in the faith that are seeing these things that are happening and they're questioning God. They're blaming God. They're not questioning the devil, who's the prince of the power of the air, who came to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, the steal, killing, and destroying, they're, they're attributing it attributed to God rather than the devil who who that's his his characteristics. And it says, and there arose that great storm the way beat against his ship, so there's now full. In verse 38, it says, but Jesus was in the back part of the ship asleep on a pillow. Think about it. Tremendous storm, tremendous difficulty, a great tempest, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Maria, Hurricane Katrina all wrapped into one, and he was asleep on a pillow, and so they woke him up, and they said unto him, Master, don't you care that we're going to perish? Don't you care that we were homeless? Don't you care that my wife got a, a, a bad report on an MRI? Don't you care that I lost my job? Don't you care that I'm having a tough time making ends meet? Don't you care that I made this trip and things didn't work out the way I thought they were going to work? Don't you care? And he says, he arose, he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? how is it that you have no faith? It says, They exceedingly feared him and said to one another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? started out as it said, Let's pass over to the other side. Folks, do you have the fruit of the Spirit in the degree of your life that you're able to pass over to the other side? Or do you think that you don't have the endurance that you'll pass over going to the other side? Folks, going to the other side in circumstances is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you going through some tempestuous situations in your life and going through great difficulty. Do you, do you have what it takes to go to the other side? Do you have what it, it takes to endure through those storms that life and circumstances and the devil that hates you are going to throw at you? Do you, have, do you have what it takes? Do you have the endurance to get through? Do you have the law of suffering in place where faith is established in you? That it's not fear, but it's faith. That he's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and the soundness of mind. Because, folks, it takes more faith to endure the storm without wavering than it does to say, peace be still. Do you hear me? It takes me more faith to go through the storm than it does to stop the storm. Do I need to say that again? It takes me more faith to go through the storm than it takes me to stop the storm book Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, listen, they could have had the faith and the flames could have went out. But you know what they said? Listen, you may throw us in the fire, but we're never going to bow. If that's what our long suffering looks like, that's what we're going to go through. And they went through the furnace. They didn't say, you know what? No weapon formed against this is going to prosper. We're not going to do that. I'm the head and I'm not the tail. I'm the first and I'm not the last. I'm the beginning and I'm not the end. And no way you're going to throw me into that. Well, they said, listen, I don't mind going through. I don't mind having the fruit of long-suffering demonstrated in my life. Burn it up. Burn me up. Because I know that he can still resurrect me at the end of it. Folks, the fruit of the Spirit's long-suffering, that's going to be the thing that bridges you from a place of just strictly, simply knowing him to actually doing those things that God's called you to do. Father, we just thank you for tonight, God. Father, we want to be the ones that endure to the end that we might see the salvation of the Lord. So, Father, we're asking for your heart, for your mind. Lord God, we're asking, Lord God, Father, not for the storms to stop. But, Lord God, we're asking for us to keep our eyes firmly, Lord God, fixed upon you through whatever storm might come. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Father, we ask you to bless.